So, welcome again. Can I just, can we just say thanks to the worship team again? Can we just thank them for leading us in worship this morning? Yeah. Yeah, our, our, so, so you can be praying for Ken. He's our normal worship leader. He came down sick about 2 in the clock in the morning last night. And so th- they stepped up and did just an excellent job this morning. Thankful uh, for them serving us in that way today. Um, it's, uh, it's a good day to be here. It's October 1st, so we are officially into fall. Um, and uh, some leaves are changing colors, and it's, uh, it's good. Um, it's good to be here um, to get today. And thanks for gathering with us on this beautiful Sunday morning. Um, and so... So today we are kicking off a new series called Seeking God and Restoring the Church. Um, This is going to be a study through the book of Ephesians. Um, And so if you have your Bibles, um, you can begin turning there to Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible, feel free to use one of those um, from the seat pack in front of you. Um, It's on page uh, 920 or 76, 976. Um, So you can go there. Um, That's where we'll be starting out. And um, let me read with you here out of Ephesians chapter 1, starting starting in verse 1. And here's what it says. It says, this letter is from Paul, chosen by the will of of God to be the to be an apostle of Christ Jesus. I'm writing to God's holy people in Ephesus who are faithful followers of Christ Jesus. May God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ uh, give you grace and peace. And so, so we have um, the apostle Paul here, um, and he is writing to the church in Ephesus. Um, the Apostle Paul um, has just an incredible story. If you want to go read that in the book of Acts, I would encourage you to do that. Um, he was a persecutor of the church, um, violently opposed the church, and, uh, and God met him on the road to Damascus and changed his life forever. And so he then becomes an apostle, which, is one, which means one who is sent out. Um, and he becomes one of the greatest missionaries that has ever lived, probably the greatest um, that has ever lived. And so, so he is writing this letter to the church in Ephesus. Um, Ephesus is in modern-day Turkey, and so uh, that's, that's where the, the church in Ephesus would have, uh, would have been. Uh, and, and so this is who he's writing to um, here And so who were these people that Paul was writing to? How did he come to know them? Why is he writing to them? And so so, so we're going to walk through the book of Ephesians um, over the next few weeks, but I feel like it was important for us week one here to to go back and understand how the the church in Ephesus even began. And I think what we're going to find is it has very unlikely beginnings, uh, very unlikely beginning. So let me pray for our time over the next few minutes. Um, and then we're going to go to Acts chapter 19. Um, and we're going to look at the beginning of the church in Ephesus there in Acts 19. So Jesus, we thank you for today. Um, we are so thankful that you did pay it all. Um, that, we, um, that we get to worship you, that we know you because you paid it in full for us. And so, Jesus, I pray and I ask that that over the next few moments as we walk through your word and as we we, we teach your word, Lord, I I pray that that you would work in our hearts. Um, Holy Spirit, we we need you to move our hearts um, to grow, to love you more, to know you more, and to submit to you further. 
And so, Jesus, I pray that you would just bless the next little bit here um, of our time and uh, help us just to honor you and make much of you. And so we thank you and praise you in Jesus' name. Amen. So, uh, Acts chapter 19, um, if you... Um, that would be on uh, 9, 7, 923 in your uh, pew Bible there. But uh, that's where we're going to be camping out for the rest of our time. And we're going to look at these unlikely beginnings of the church in Ephesus. And it's unlikely um, that the church in Ephesus would even be there when you begin to see and look at the culture that, um, that, that was rampant in the city of Ephesus during this time in history. Um, Ephesus was a powerful and influential city in the Roman Empire. Uh, they, they were powerful and influential. Um, they were known as the mother city of Asia um, at that time because of their influence over politics, commerce, and the religious atmosphere of the province. Um, uh, uh, Ephesus was, was incredibly materialistic, and that is because that they were so economically, um, it was an economic boomtown in a lot of ways. Uh, like, like so, it was a port city, and so there's a lot of trade um, throughout the world going through Ephesus. Um, people from all over the world, from, from different uh, rural villages, were coming to Ephesus because of the economic opportunities that existed there. Um, the population of Ephesus was thought to be 250 thousand-ish, um, not, not just in the city proper, but, but throughout kind of the metropolitan area of Ephesus. Um, it was an incredibly wealthy city. Um, spiritually speaking, um, uh, Ephesus was a hyper-spiritual um, uh, culture. They were hyper-spiritual in everything they do, it, and it was dominated by the worship of the goddess Artemis, um, Ar Artemis, also known as Diana. Um, and so, so the, the, like the, her temple um, there in Ephesus was, was one of the ancient seven wonders of the world. Um, it, every, everything in the life of Ephesus basically ran through this temple. Um, it was all revolved around this. But not only did they worship the god Artemis, there's 50 other gods and goddesses that we can go back and say, okay, they worshiped these in Ephesus. But but then you also have the, the worship of Caesar um, that happened there. The, the, the political, um, religious atmosphere was super, super strong as well. So you have this hyper-spiritual, economically um, booming place. Um, the, and then just, just to, it, it was incredibly, um, the, the sexuality in the, in, the, in the place was incredibly sexually immoral. Um, the culture of Ephesus was, um, they, they just bought into the idea of the Greek enlightenment, um, which basically said you needed to experience something in order to unlock the mysterious knowledge. And so um, incredibly promiscuous um, as a city. I love what Tim Keller says. Um, this is what uh, pastor, uh, and this is what he said. He said, this society was stingy with its money and promiscuous with its body. They gave nobody their money and practically gave everybody their body. Um, this, is, this is what it was like. Um, ultimately, all of these areas, though, economically, sexually, spiritually, all of these things served the, the individual. It was all about how can this help me? How does this make me feel? How does this uh, affect my life? How can this advance my career? Sex, money, spirituality, power were the idolatrous ways that defined the culture's identity in Ephesus. And as we know, there's nothing new under the sun. That, that, that while this was the, the culture in Ephesus, 
I think in many ways, in, in, in the American West, it, it, it reflects very much some of our culture that we're into today. Right now, we are in a culture that mirrors the culture of Ephesus in, in a lot of striking ways. The rise of secularism in our culture is just off the charts. In, in, in fact, like the secularism, I think right now, is, is just going into every area and sphere of life and saying, hey, where is God at and how can we push him out? We're in a place in time in history in, the American, in America where there is an incredible decline in those claiming to be followers of Jesus. In fact, the largest um, segment of, uh, the, the largest grow, the fastest growing segment is uh, what they're calling the nuns, um, which means that they have no spiritual affiliation with anyone. They're spiritual, but, but, but not a, they're not affiliating themselves with any church, any denomination, any way, shape, or form. And, and there's some good reasons for that too. But this is the fastest growing segment in our population. I mean, you think about how our culture views economics, and we have been taught from birth, and we have learned from birth that more is better, and better is not enough. That, that, that we spend much of our lives trying to acquire experiences that make us feel good about ourselves. The supreme value in, in, in our culture is how much can I get? Success is defined by one word, and that's more. We start looking at sexuality in our culture, and, and the message has been fed to us that sex is purely physical, and as long as no one is hurt, people can determine their own sexual practices. And I don't have time to get into all the gender dysphoria that, 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 that's out there in our culture right now, but even secular sociologists are saying that this is detrimental to, to society. We'll do that someday. We'll, we'll, we'll talk about that in depth at some point, but not, not today. I mean, we look at spirituality in our culture, and it's, it's said that all beliefs are equal and valid, and to claim that one belief system is true and others is not is cultural treason. The only belief you can hold with conviction is that there is not a true-for-everybody belief system out there. Our culture's worship of self is at an all-time high. The idolatry of self has gone so far that people are able to speak of my truth as if someone's personal preference or perspective somehow creates objective reality. This is the culture which we find ourselves here in 2023 in the foothills of Colorado. And it's becoming so bad that researchers have said statistically, we have reached the point of no return. That, that, that there is no, statistically speaking, that, 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 the, that things cannot be turned around at this point. That the ship is not going to be turned around in our culture. That there is no human program, there is no politician, there is no amount of legislation that is going to turn our culture around. That this is where we find ourselves, that there is no human means, that, that, that we can't program this church well enough to turn the culture around. And that sounds maybe bleak and hopeless in, in a lot of ways, and, and it should. And while there is no human means of turning this culture around, I believe our God can still do impossible things. That, that, 
That, that, that if we would humble ourselves before him and seek the Lord, our God can bring awakening and revival. And so while we may not be able to turn things around, I believe our God can. And so we find ourselves today here in Acts chapter 19, and, and we, we can begin to see some of this culture being played out in this passage that we're going to read. We're going to read here. And I just, I just want to just hopefully show us today and in the weeks to come that even in the darkest places, even in the most desperate places, our God can still work and even the smallest light shines brightest in darkest places. And so, now that you're excited, Acts chapter 19, um, here we go. Acts chapter 19, starting in verse 1, it says, While Apollos was in Corinth, uh, Paul traveled through the interior regions until he reached Ephesus on the coast where he found several believers. Did you receive the Holy Spirit when you believe, he asked them? No, they replied. We, weren't, we haven't even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. Then what baptism did you experience, he asked. And they replied, the baptism of John. If you go back to the Gospels, this is John the Baptist baptism, okay? Um, Paul said, John's baptism called for repentance from sin. But John himself told the people to believe in the one who would be coming later, meaning Jesus. And as soon as they heard this, they were baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. And when Paul had laid his hands on them, the Holy Spirit came on them, and they spoke in other tongues and prophesied, and there were about 12 men in all. And so we have Paul, and he shows up to Ephesus. And as he shows up to Ephesus, he runs into some people who, who think they understand the gospel. They think they believe, but yet they don't really understand because what we know from all of scripture is that when you put your faith in Jesus, the Holy Spirit indwells every single believer at that moment. They had not yet heard of the gospel of Jesus Christ. They had been baptized into, to, to repentance of sin by John the Baptist, which was a good thing, but that did not bring salvation to them. And so Paul shows up and he sees them and he meets them and he begins to explain to them the gospel of Jesus. And immediately they put their faith in Jesus and the Holy Spirit comes and indwells them and they become followers of Jesus in this moment, in this moment. And so this is a small group. It says 12 men in all. We assume there are probably some women in there as well. And so we're talking about a group of, of 10 to 20 people-ish Right? This is, this is how the church begins in Ephesus, in this incredibly dark culture. It begins with this small group of people. Then verse 8, it says this. It says, Then Paul went to the synagogue and preached boldly for the next three months, arguing persuasively about the kingdom of God. But some became stubborn, rejecting his message, and publicly speaking against the way. So Paul left the synagogue and the believers with him. And so one, one thing I want to note here is um, before Christians were called Christians, they're called the way. Um, and this is an interesting thing because this is a unique time where people um, weren't known for what they said they believed, but the way they lived their life. And they lived their life in the way of Jesus. And because they lived their life in the way of Jesus, their actions demonstrated the reality of their belief. And so they're known as the way because of the way they lived their life, not just what they said they believed. And, and, and just, just a side note, like, like this is the way it should be. If you say you believe something, it demonstrates and plays itself out in the way you live. And so, 
So they, they, so, so Paul takes this group of people and they go to the synagogue. This was his custom. They would go to the, the Jewish people in the, the town first because if all people should get the gospel, it should be the Jews. Um, and so they spend three months and he's con- convincingly persuading them of the gospel of Jesus. But they harden their heart towards this message. And so Paul takes some of them that believed in the, the small group of 20. And so we're talking about 30 to 50 people at this point. Still a small group of people going into a dark and desperate place where, where, where the gospel has no root yet. And yet God is on the move. God is on the move. Even amongst a small group of people. The end of verse 9 says this. It says, Then he held daily discussions in the lecture hall of Tyrannus. This went on for the next two years, so that people throughout the province of Asia, both Jews and Greeks, heard the word of the Lord. So Paul takes this small group of believers, and they go to the public square. Um, the public square for us would look more like social media probably did. That's probably our social square. But um, so, so Paul goes to the social square and he begins to faithfully proclaim the good news of Jesus day in and day out for two years. For two years, he proclaims the word of God. Let me tell you, it, it is God's word in which we stand on. It's not Marcus's opinion. It's, it's not, 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 not uh, another per- pastor down the road's opinion. It's, we must stand firmly on the word of God because this is the source of life in it. That it's not about what we think. It's not about what we, th- what we think is best. It's about what does God's word say and we are going to come back to it over and over and over again. And so Paul is faithfully proclaiming the word of the Lord, the good news of Jesus to everyone, everywhere that will listen. Jews and Greeks. This means everyone when it says that. And so the church is exploding in growth through this preaching and proclamation of the word. We know that Paul is proclaiming the word in a public fashion like this, but he, but, but he and the others are also living out the word in their daily lives, where they work, where they live, and where they play. They're living on mission in these places, and the church is beginning to explode with growth, even in this dark and desperate place. In a culture that was hopeless and helpless, in a culture that was thought to be impossible to reach, in a culture that was thought to be impossible to turn around, the gospel is beginning to take root and flourish. And then we begin to read some of the unusual miracles that were taking place alongside of these, and at the same time, it says this in verse 11, it says, God gave, and I want to just note God here, God gave, not, um, not, not Paul had special abilities or powers, but it originates from God, okay? Um, God gave Paul the power to perform unusual miracles, which means these are not normal. With, when handkerchiefs or aprons that had merely touched his skin were placed on sick people, they were healed of their diseases, and evil spirits were expelled. Let me tell you why the author Luke is putting this in here, okay? Um, this is, um, Luke is describing what was happening. Um, this is not prescriptive, this is descriptive, okay? So we're not going to start a handkerchief and apron ministry, just know, okay? This is 
Luke is describing the way in which God was working and he's describing it so that we would lift our eyes upward and stand in awe of God's power, of his ability, of what he is able and capable of doing. That God can work in powerful ways and he is able. And so Luke is describing what was happening simultaneously while the word is going out. God is also working in unusual, powerful ways through healing. And then I love this next section, verse 13. It says, a group of Jews was traveling from town to town, casting out evil spirits. They tried to use the name of the Lord Jesus in their incantation, saying, I command you in the name of Jesus, whom Paul preaches, come out. Seven sons of Sceva, a leading priest, were doing this. But one time when they tried, the evil spirit replied, I know Jesus and I know Paul, but who are you? Then the man with the evil spirit leapt on them and overpowered them and attacked them with such violence that they fled from the house naked and battered. I'm just going to say this. If you get into a fight with someone and you went into it with pants on and you leave without pants, you lost. (laughs) Like that, that fight didn't go well for you, for sure. So they get their tails whipped um, in this fight. They get their tails whipped in this fight. And, and And here's another example. Another example of how, of of God's power on display here. It's another example of God's power on display in this in this moment. We, we, we see that, that these guys, they, they're not followers of Jesus. They're simply showing up and they're trying to make money by attaching themselves to Jesus' name and Paul's ministry. It's, it's, not about, it's not about what God can do. It's, it's about, hey, what can I get? It's about themselves. How can I make money? And here's the thing. I, I don't think many of us are going around trying to make money by casting out evil spirits um, in the name of Jesus in order that we can make more money. I don't, I don't think that that's a temptation for a lot of us in the room. If it is for you, let's talk afterwards. Um, I, I want to know more about that. Um, but, but by and large, um, I don't think that's a temptation. But here's where I think that this looks like for us. Is, is that sometimes I think that we are so enamored with comfort and security. That everywhere we go, we simply say, God, give me comfort. God, give me security. God, protect my kids. And I don't think there's anything wrong with praying those prayers. Those are good prayers to pray. But when those things become idols of our heart, where, where, where we idolize comfort and security, and we're just simply trying to use Jesus to give us what we really most desperately want, rather than trusting Jesus even when he gives us what we don't want. And I think it's a dangerous thing to do. And so, so I, that's, I, I think that that's just how it looks. But, but once again, here we see, um, we see God at work in powerful ways. And people's eyes are being drawn upward to, to the reality that God has power over everything. That Jesus has authority over it all. That Jesus has authority over it all. And look what happens as a result of God's presence being made manifest in a special way in the city of Ephesus. Verse 17, it says, The story of what happened spread quickly all through Ephesus. 
Not, not to a corner of Ephesus, not, not, not to a, a small sliver of Ephesus, but all through Ephesus, to Jews and Greeks alike. So everyone, it spreads to everyone. And a solemn fear descended on the city. In the name of the Lord Jesus was greatly honored. Word goes out about what is happening here. Word goes out about all that is taking place, uh, uh, how God is at work in powerful ways, about how the word of God is transforming lives. This all goes out to everyone throughout the city. And as a result, it says, a solemn Fear descended on the city to believers and unbelievers alike. And awe of God fell on this city. Whether they were followers of Jesus or not, they were like, okay, this God's for real. This God has some serious power. And there's an awe. They were awestruck by who God was and what he was able to do. This is what was coming as a result of the word of God being preached. Of God working in manifesting his presence in, in, in a special way in this season. And in all falls in the name of the Lord Jesus is greatly honored throughout the city. And when people begin to have a right view of God, look what happens next. Verse 18, it says, many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. Many who became believers confessed their sinful practices. The, I, th I think in our culture, we have lost the art of biblical confession. We, we, have, we have lost um, the, the importance of what it means to confess our sins. I mean, you look throughout Scripture um, and you see over and over and over again throughout Scripture that um, you, you see how God, when, when people come into the presence of God, when, when they see the reality of who God is, their first thing is like, God, don't kill me. Right, you go to Isaiah chapter 6 as an example. Um, God, Isaiah comes into the throne room of God and the angels are declaring, holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. And, and, and Isaiah falls down on his face and he says, woe is me for I am a man of unclean lips and I am from a people of unclean lips. Please don't kill me, God. Because God is so separate from sin. And what we know is that the closer we draw near to God, the more reality sets in of who we are in light of a most holy God. And when we realize who God is, the holiness of our God, the, the, the grandeur of who he is, and what we deserve, we can't help but confess to him, God, forgive me for I am a sinful and wicked person. And we confess that to him. You see, you see uh, biblical, biblical and historically awakenings and revival begins with prayer and confession. Begins with us starting to take our sins seriously and stop just saying, hey, it's not that really that big a deal. It's not that 
not that bad. I'm going to handle it myself. I'm going to take care of it myself. But it is a, I'm submitting myself fully to the presence of God and saying, God, I can't do this. I need your forgiveness. We know in 1 John chapter 1, verse 9, it says that, that if we would confess, and this is written to believers, if we'd confess, and it's in the continual tense in the uh, original language, which means that we should be continually confessing. And God is faithful and just to forgive us of all unrighteousness. So we can be in continual confession of ourselves to God. And this is what the people um, are experiencing here. They, 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 they experience the word of God. They hear the word of God being taught. The presence of God is, is being made manifest in special ways in this time. And they have a right view of God. They are in awe of God. And it leads to confession of sin. It leads to confession of sin. When we not only confess our sin to God, but we begin to confess our sin to one another, it brings, it drags those sinful things into the light. And let me just tell you that that, that sinful dark things cannot flourish in the light. That, 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 That as Christians, we need to be putting our sin to death together putting it to death in community. Like, like I use this illustration with the men's group that met this past week, and, and, and just I'm going to throw it in here now too. So um, how many of you ever seen the show When Animals Attack? Anybody seen that show on Discovery Channel? Like two, go YouTube it later. It's great. Unless you're queasy, then don't maybe. But, um, but it's like every episode is basically the same. And so um, the, the, you have a... A, a, a person who has this like uh, bear or lion or something like that. Let's just go with lion, uh, and, and they're like a model's like taking pictures with it, and, and it's like for some show. And then the animal turns around and like bites the lady's arm off, right? And the trainer, and every every time the trainer's, I just I don't understand what happened. It doesn't make sense to me. I I've had this lion since it was a cub. I thought it was so kind, so nice. I just it doesn't make sense what happened. Well, wait. It's doing what it was designed to do. Tear you apart. And yet this is how we often treat sin in our lives. We think we can train it. We think we can control it. We think we can keep it in a cage. We think we can handle it. We can manage it. And then when it bites our arm off, we're like, what happened? I don't understand. It's foolish. That that when we see the holiness of God, We should drag our sin into the light. And then together as a community of believers, we can put that to death in our lives. And there may be some ups and downs in that, but but I promise it can be done. I'm on Monday night, three different men confess, hey, hey, I was struggling with alcohol and I had to go get help from from other Christians and from God and and, and God healed me of my alcoholism. Three different men, three different stories, not connected to each other at all. And they all have received freedom from their alcohol. Like, like, that is what our God is able to do when we take sin seriously and we begin to confess it. But not only do they confess their sin, but look in verse 19. It says, a number of them who had been practicing sorcery brought their incantation books and burned them at at a public bonfire. The value of the books was several million dollars in our terms. It was several million dollars. They bring their books and they burn them. This is a radical, 
reorientation of one's life around the person of Jesus. This is saying, like, listen, I know I relied on these incantation books to, to solve my problems before, but I now know that those things hold no hope, that Jesus alone can hold my hope. And I'm going to radically reorient my life around the person of Jesus now. Around the fact that, that, that he came to this earth, he went to the cross and took the penalty meant for you and for me onto himself. And he paid it in full. He paid for your sins of your past, your present, and your future. He paid it in full. He declared it is finished on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death for us and on our behalf. And these people believed this so deeply, so fully, that they radically began to reorient their life around the person of Jesus that they were willing to burn millions of dollars worth of books in order that they might live around the person of Jesus. And this is all by the grace of God. Oftentimes what I think I found though in my own life and in, in, in different ministries that I've been a part of and helped lead is that that we want Jesus, but we don't want radical reorientation. We want enough Jesus to get us out of hell, but not enough of him to, 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 to actually do anything in our daily lives. We want to keep doing things the way we want to do them. We want to uh, do life the way we want. We don't want to submit all of life to who he is. But let me just... Like being a follower of Jesus demands, demands that, that, that we are constantly growing in our submission to who Jesus is. The, the, like, and listen, it's, it's not, sometimes it's not a, an overnight thing. Sometimes it's, okay, God, I, I'm, I'm struggling with this. Help me with this. And it's, it's a daily coming to him saying, God, I need you, I need you, I need you. It's, this is why he says, give us this day our daily bread. I think it's every single day. I gotta go to Jesus. He doesn't give us enough bread for, to, for a month from now. He doesn't give us enough bread for a year from now. He gives us enough bread for today. Just to say, hey, Jesus, I need you. Here you go. And he gives us to us enough bread each day, exactly what we need to submit to him that day. It's a daily coming to him, a daily reorienting our lives around the person of Jesus, willing to, willing to burn whatever books you have in your life, willing to, to, to cast off the sin that so easily entangles and keep our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith. And this is what it looks like every single day, coming to him, saying, Jesus I'm, I'm tempted by this. Jesus, I'm struggling with this. Jesus, I have this going on in my life. And so, so here's the thing. I, I, I don't know what you come into this room with today. I don't know what addictions you come into this room with today. I don't know how your marriage is in this room today. I don't, I don't know um, what, what mental health things you're struggling with today. But, but here's two things I know. Number one, I would say that our Jesus is powerful enough to help you overcome them. And second of all, I would just encourage you to confess that to him and come to him and re begin to reorient your life around him in every way possible. This is what it looks like. And as a result 
of this radical reorientation of people's lives in a place that was thought to be impossible to reach with the gospel, in a place that was thought to be impossible to see the gospel advance. This is the result of what happens. Verse 20, the message about the Lord spread widely and had a powerful effect. The church explodes in growth because a group of people, small group of people were willing to say, I need to seek the Lord. I need to seek God. I need to orient my life around who he is. A small group of people faithfully proclaiming the word, faithfully helping one another in daily life, live out their faith, confessing their sin. And God begins to explode the church in Ephesus. And if we kept reading, we would see how it it was growing so rapidly and so fast that that, that those who were making um, money off of sinful practices by the selling of idols to worship Artemis, they get mad about it. Can I just tell you that, that what an awesome dream I have as a pastor, that, that the gospel would be spreading so much that those who are making money in sinful ways wouldn't be able to make money anymore. Like, can we, can we just dream about what that would look like for the foothills? Like, how awesome would that would be? And so much so that they begin to riot and they, 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 begin to, um, they begin to try and kill people and stuff like that because the gospel is advancing. And I just pray that we would be ready for that. But this is what happened. I think there's a great picture of this in nature that I've recently learned about called the super bloom. Look to your neighbor and say super bloom so you know you're awake. And uh, Super bloom. So, um, so for, for years, um, the... I'm going to butcher this name, but I'm doing my best. Atacama Desert is the driest, most dead place in the world. No vegetation, no rain, nothing growing. It's a harsh and barren landscape that, 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 with vast stretches of sand, rocks, and salt flats. Um, the region is known for extreme temperatures and strong winds, making it an inhospitable environment for most forms of life. However, every few years, five to seven years, the desert experiences a phenomenon known as the Atacama Desert Bloom or Super Bloom, where a burst of colorful flowers transforms the barren terrain into a vibrant, picturesque landscape. In the desert, this bloom is a stunning display of natural beauty of millions of flowers that burst into bloom across this desert. The flowers are mostly native to the region and have adapted to the harsh conditions of the desert. The the most common flowers that bloom during this phenomenon um, are, are the lion's paw and the Peruvian lily. And the bloom only occurs after a period of unusually heavy rainfall which triggers the dormant seeds to germinate and grow into colorful flowers. We believe the super bloom of the Chilean desert is an imaginative picture for our time, for what God can do in this dry and weary land we find ourselves in in 2023. That, that, that we have We've been trying, I think, for, for, for a long time now to handle things ourselves, 
to, 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 to manage the decline. And I just want to tell you that, that I don't want to give my life to manage decline. I want to give my life for the transformation of people, men, women, children, throughout the foothills and beyond with the gospel of Jesus. That's what I'm giving my life to. That's what I'm calling us as a church to give our lives to. That, that, that God would send the reign of his presence, the power of the Holy Spirit, and we would see an awakening in our generation unlike we've ever seen before. But it begins with prayer and it begins with confession. It begins with a radical reorientation that the people of God are not just, an, it's not enough just to show up on a Sunday. It's not enough just to come to church. But, but, but the faith affects every area of our life, Monday through Saturday as well. And we are praying and we are asking God in this desperate and dark hour that in this desperate and dark hour that God would be, would rain down on us and that we would have a right view of who he is, confess our sin. And so if you're in the room today, and if, you just, if everybody bow your heads and close your eyes, I just if you're in this room today and you would just say, say, Marcus, I, this is my first time at church, um, or maybe you've been coming for a while, and you would just say, hey, I've never taken that step, that first step of faith in my faith journey to put my faith in Jesus as Savior. And you would say, today, I want to take that step of faith. I want, I, want to, I want to put my faith in Jesus. I believe he's the son of God who came and died in my place on the cross. And then three days later, he rose from the dead, conquering sin and death for me. And I just want to confess that, that I believe that today for the first time I'm putting my faith in Jesus. And if you're in the room today and that's the first time you're putting your faith in Jesus today, would you just put your hand up with nobody looking around but me? Okay. Okay. If you're in the room today and... I know this is sort of a, a heavy message maybe and you're like, Marcus, I thought we were gonna have more fun today. And, but, but you would just say, today you recognize the desperate hour that's before us. And you just wanna say, hey, I wanna commit to crying out to God on behalf of the people of the foothills. I wanna contend for the foothills. And I wanna ask God in faith to bring an awakening and if that's you and you say, I want to commit to begin praying regularly about an awakening in the foothills by the grace of Jesus. And I want to commit to doing that. Would you put your hand in the air? Yeah, all over the room. Thank you. If you're here today and you, you say, hey, I, need, I, I have sin in my life and I, I just need to begin confessing that to God, I would just encourage you. You can do that right where you sit today. Just confess that to God, but don't leave it there. It's okay to come and, and, and ask for help. It's okay to not be okay is what we like to say here, but it's not okay to stay there by yourself. So let us come alongside you in whatever that is. So here's what I'm gonna do. I'm just gonna 
I'm just gonna pray over us. And then I just wanna invite you just to stay seated for just like, just a minute or two. Take longer if you need. And I just want us just to spend some time praying and talking to God. I want to give us some space to just pray and cry out to God this morning. And then the band's going to sing and we're going to respond in worship. And, and so, so I just, that, that, that's, that's my encouragement to you today. Jesus, we need you today. Forgive us, Lord, where we have been um, reliant on ourselves to fix the problems of this world. Lord, we know that there is no, there's no, there's no one that can fix the, the, the situation we're in. There's no politician, there's no legislation, there's no man-made program, there's no um, system we can implement. Um, we just need you. We confess our need for you today. And we pray, Lord, that you would bring an awakening in the foothills beyond what our eyes can see right now. That you are a God who is able to do far more abundantly than all we ask or think. And you created these mountains by speaking a word and how easy it is for you to bring an awakening to our generation, to this season we find ourselves in. We are desperately dependent on you, Jesus, today. We cry out to you and we ask for your help. Bless our time today. Bless, bless, bless our hearts as we go out this week. We need you, we need you, we need you, Jesus. We confess this to you today in Jesus' name, amen. I invite you just to sit there and pray and just talk to God for a minute. Here in about a minute, the band will begin singing and you can stand and worship with us at that point.